The Dave Berta Podcast is brought to you by the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. To find out more about amazing Alberta-made podcasts, visit albertapodcastnetwork.com. I'm Dave Cornway, and you're listening to the Dave Berta Podcast. We're back from our summer break and are recording this episode on Sunday, September 22nd, 2019, and I am thrilled to be joined by our producer, Adam Rosenhart. Hey, Dave. Hey, Adam. How was your summer? Uh, great. We bought a house. Hey, congratulations. <laughs> w- welcome to the world of, of, of land ownership. Yeah, I've been told it's uh, both exhilarating and the worst thing on earth. Yeah, I, I find uh, uh, one of my least favorite parts of owning a house is mowing the lawn. So. Oh, yeah. I'm definitely going to have to do that. You'll, you'll have to buy a lawnmower of some fashion. Yeah. Do they have like Tesla lawnmowers that drive themselves yet? Uh, you know, they actually, I think they actually have like, um, uh, Roomba lawnmowers. <laughs> They're probably so, like thousands and thousands of dollars. Probably. And you got to make sure the sensors work because, you know, the cats and yeah. stuff and yeah. yeah. Well, could you yeah. imagine? <laughs> Jesus. Where's the dog? <laughs> the lawnmower is out there. Okay. So, yeah. And on that note, <laughs> we're back from the summer. Yeah. So we've been away for a few months. Um, so we've decided to dive deep into our mailbag. Uh, and we're going to spend this episode answering some of the great questions that you guys sent us. Uh, but first, I do want to get some of your uh, political knowledge and your take, Dave, on the federal horse race, especially in light of the blackface bombshells about Justin Trudeau. So let, would you mind if we started there? For sure, yeah. What I'm curious to know is how do you think this revelation impacts the race. What have you been seeing and hearing? Well, I mean, that we've been spending the the past, basically the past week talking about it, um, and it seems like it's not really going away. Um, The the entire blackface, brownface uh, uh, controversy, it seems to be something that, even though Trudeau knew about it, it appears to have been a total surprise to the liberals, at least, like yeah. that's what that's what it you know it it seemed like they were in total damage control and probably didn't know this was coming, even though he knew, you know he Trudeau knew Trudeau knew he right probably he, didn't tell his oppo research yeah yeah which is which is uh, which is fascinating um, and I think I I think kind of speaks to the you know his privilege and the background he comes from that he you know he didn't necessarily think this would come up or see this was, mm-hmm. was would have been a wrong thing which is which is fairly horrible and i mean there's no really there's no good way to describe what what happened nope. um how this is going to impact the election campaign you know it's funny because we we are so early in the election i know and and i think this does it it it's not good for the liberals uh it's not good for justin trudeau and him personally i know there's been a lot of commentary about his political brand and how mm-hmm. this clashes with his political brand but like yes but over the past four years, Trudeau has done a lot that has clashed with his personal brand, and I'm not sure it's actually really hurt him. It, it, it doesn't seem to have. Yeah. yeah. So so whether this actually damages him in the campaign is, I think, yet to be seen. I'm not sure whether I'm not sure who who it benefits in terms of of if it drives liberal voters away, uh, and and where they go. I can tell you that uh, I think it was a Nanos weekly tracking poll that showed the liberals in decline slightly mm-hmm. by less than a percent, mm-hmm. which is like pretty suspect. Mm-hmm. And if the conservatives were hoping that this was going to be a huge bombshell, they were also declining by about uh, 0.2. Mm-hmm. It looked like the the block is the one who is the party that picked up anything in the last week. Especially those disenchanted Alberta voters. Yeah. Moving <laughs> to the Bloc Québécois. If only we had some good Bloc candidates in this province. But, you know, you, you mentioned it's early in the campaign. Why do you think 
because I, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, that the the Canadian, the Conservative Party of Canada uh, gave these photos and this information to Time magazine. Why do you think they chose now to do it? Because someone was telling me earlier this morning, they had this stuff in July. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that. Okay. Why would they choose this moment? What, what do you think the political calculus is there? Well, I mean, I think it de- derails the liberals, uh, derails them off their off some of their, their key messages. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is so much a... Uh, we live in a political environment that is so leader focused um, that I think this, I mean, it does tarnish Trudeau. I mean, the question is whether any other party is actually able to take advantage of that. And I mean, I've said for months that if the conservatives actually had like a dynamic leader, mm-hmm. uh, they could be like six or seven points ahead in the polls. Andrew Shear is like as boring as like plain white toast. A, f- a mutual friend of ours actually described him as a potato. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew Shear is a potato. Yeah. yeah no, uh, truly. Even so I, if it was Stephen Harper, I think this thing would be sewn up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, yeah, I think that, yeah, four years later. Um, but Shear, I'm not, not to say that the conservatives aren't in a position to win because I think they they are, mm-hmm. uh, though I'd still think the Liberals are going to win this election, um, which I've said before. But uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it'll be interesting to see how long how long we continue to talk about this, and and yeah. uh, and whether it uh, yeah whether the other whether the parties are able to you know quote unquote change the channel. And I think we saw the Liberals really try to to do that, really try to pivot hard on the handgun ban and the AR-15 ban Which was uh, announcement. Kind of much ado about nothing, was it not? I mean, you've got a little bit of knowledge about firearms in Canada, sort of, because your, your father-in-law teaches people yeah. about restricted and unrestricted firearms. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, my, my take on it was that the, I mean, the, I, I thought the liberals would probably pull this out at some point mm-hmm. in the campaign because it's something that we've heard. I think John Tory in Toronto, the mayor of Toronto has talked about it. We've had some big city mayors, police chiefs talk about limited restricting handguns, banning handguns and what that would mean in some of the big cities where they've had a lot of gun violence. Um, so I think the handgun ban is one thing. I think the banning the AR-15s is more of a symbolic thing. Like, I think that's that that's what they do to get the gun nuts really mad. Which is weird because, as you pointed out uh, when you and I were chatting about this earlier, AR-15s, yes, they're a semi-automatic weapon, but in Canada, you can't have magazines for AR-15s that hold more than three bullets. Yeah, more than five magazines. Or pardon, five more rounds. than five rounds, five pardon rounds. me. Yeah, yeah. so uh, that's my understanding. So yeah. I, th- I think like I think the AR-15 thing is more because it's a military-style weapon, which does look... It looks scary. It's, yeah. like, it's, a, it's, a, it's a firearm that looks scary. Sure. Because... The Canadian forces have a version of it that's that looks very similar, right? Mm-hmm. So it looks like a military weapon. I'm trying to wrap my head around. I mean, changing the channel, sure. Maybe it's uh, it's uh, meat for the base uh, mm-hmm. to some degree. But uh, you and I took our firearms courses together. Yep. Both are restricted and unrestricted. Yep. The only reason to own a handgun in this country is for target shooting. Yeah. You 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 can't walk around with it. Yeah. You need a special permit to move it around. Yep. I, I just don't understand, and I don't know the issue that well, like the the gun issue in Canada very well. But like, what are they? What problem are they trying to solve here? Do you think? Well, I think that I mean, the Globe and Mail actually had a really interesting article about this out yesterday or this morning, talking about how hard it was to find information about gun crimes in Canada from hmm. the the RCMP or the major police force, and they're they talking about how they've tried to FOIP and try to do access to information uh, requests to get. Um, st- statistics like RCMP statistics on firearms 
um, crimes and, and where the firearms come from. And they didn't weren't able to get a lot, but they had this data from like 2014, I think it was, and it would show that, and I think this was specifically, I believe this was specifically from Toronto. I'll put a link on the, on the, on the website that goes along with this podcast. Um, but they talked about, they were looking to see how many, from firearms crimes, and I believe that I believe this was specifically for handguns. Mm-hmm. How many were crimes that were committed for with handguns that were purchased domestically, and how many were imported in the United States? Okay, and I think I, I think it was like thirty percent or twenty five percent were firearms that were sourced to purchased domestically, and then seventy percent were imported from the United States. So, mm. part of the big problem is that. There, you have these guns coming in from the United States, um, but that said, I mean, twenty-five or thirty percent is still considerable. Yeah. So if you wanted to cut down on that, like cutting down on twenty-five to thirty percent, if you know for for firearms that are per hand guns that are purchased in Canada, that's like that's a considerable amount as well. Yeah. The last question I have for you is uh, is about Trudeau meeting with uh, Jagmeet Singh. Uh, I I presume to express his apologies and dismay over his conduct. What the what kind of outcome do you think the the liberal team is hoping for that, or is this just like the prime minister trying to do the right thing by a fellow politician? I guess, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think that the, the part of apologizing is you have to show remorse, mm-hmm. and I think Trudeau meeting with Singh was a public way for him to express remorse, and I think it was really. I think Jagmeet Singh has has responded to this very well talking about his own personal experiences with racism being the only only federal party leader who's a person of color mm-hmm. um and uh, uh talking about his personal experiences growing up and 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 his his um his experiences with racism i think that seeing you know accepting the meeting but but accepting it on the terms that it would be public and that he wouldn't be able to be basically be co-opted as trudeau's uh trudeau's uh, um for for the liberal campaign, I thought that was quite smart yeah. and, and quite appropriate. Well, apparently um, the liberals are saying it will be a private meeting. Yeah. So I, I think they haven't agreed on the terms. Oh, okay. okay. Probably. Okay. So we'll see. But I just wanted to get your take on that. It's uh, it's one week and a few days into this campaign, and, and it's already a cluster. This episode of the Dave Berta podcast is brought to you in part by the Tech Life Today podcast. Tech Life Today is the place to hear thoughtful, relevant stories featuring alumni, students, and staff of the Northern Alberta Institute of Technology. This season, you'll hear episodes about mental health, food security, embracing change, the impact of technology, and so much more. You can find it in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, or go to techlifetoday.ca slash podcast. This episode of the Dave Berta podcast is also brought to you by Rural Roots to Climate Solutions, a podcast that dives into the technology and practices that are both good for the farm and good for the climate. Here's a bit more about the show. Hi, my name's Derek Leahy. I host Rural Roots to Climate Solutions, the podcast that looks at how farmers and ranchers in Alberta can use climate solutions to improve and strengthen their agricultural operations. I know we hear a lot of bad things in the media about agriculture these days, especially agriculture's impact on the environment. And you know what? Most of the stories are probably true. But there are a lot of things farmers and ranchers can do and are doing right now, right here in Alberta, to protect ecosystems, 
build resilient communities, and tackle a colossal problem like climate change. These are the stories you don't hear too often, and these are the stories we like to tell. Download and listen to Rural Roots to Climate Solutions on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and SoundCloud, and learn how what's good for the farm is usually good for the climate. Be sure to search for Rural Roots to Climate Solutions wherever pods are cast. That's Rural Roots, R-U-T-E-S, to Climate Solutions, or visit rr2cs.ca. All right, well, let's open up that mailbag, Dave. We've got quite a few questions that came in from Twitter and a lot on Instagram this time, you were mm-hmm. saying, hey? Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Thanks to everyone who uh, who sent us questions on Instagram. And if you're not following us on Insta yet, <laughs> uh, you can follow us at uh, Dave Berta. Yeah, watch as Dave learns how to how to do Instagram stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm not I haven't yet graduated to TikTok yet, but <laughs> <laughs> I think Instagram is is where I'm going now. Sure. Um, so we've sort of grouped these in in order, going from some questions around political research and theory uh, to the federal election. There are a lot of questions about that, and then we'll get into some questions we got about provincial politics as well. Um, but we're going to start our first question off with Amanda Crumans. Amanda asks, what do you think about studies that say door knocking has no impact on how voters actually vote? Does it have other benefits, engaging voters, get out the vote, et cetera? What do you think? Is this surprising news to you? Well, I mean, I think in in in, a, in a federal and provincial campaigns, so much uh, of what people are paying attention to are the political parties and the party leaders. And I mean, I've read studies, and I'm sure Amanda's referencing the uh, the similar ones to what, what I re- I've read. Uh, they show that only like a small percentage of voters will make up their mind depending on uh, on the local candidate. Mm, okay. um, and like I think some somewhere between like five or ten percent, and that like it gets higher depending on how high profile your candidate is. So someone like Emerjit Sohi, who's very well known in Edmonton, former city councilor, cabinet minister, he he'll he will probably have some personal pull in terms of voters. But um, Joe Schmo candidate running in Edmonton West might not have, yeah. you know, n- who not running for the Conservatives uh, might not have any kind of, or even if they're running for the Conservatives, but just, they're just a generic candidate, they might not actually have uh, any kind of real pull as a personal, um, uh, personally as, as a candidate. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think door knocking is 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 what candidates need to do. Um, despite that, I mean, you can kind of make the argument, you know, candidates don't matter, but candidates do matter because you need to be able to go out and identify your vote and yes. get out and campaign and get your vote out on election day. Yeah, so. and, and I think one of the other things that I hear a lot of folks say is they definitely notice when someone who's running hasn't been to their door. Yeah. Right, and that probably removes them from a consideration set entirely if, yeah. they, if they haven't shown up or anything like that, so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, the, the, yeah, go knock doors. Yeah, and the benefits are it helps, it helps campaigns ID their vote and maybe it helps. I, I think what Amanda's suggesting, if I could be so bold, is it probably doesn't change minds. Yeah. Well, right? that's the thing is even when, even if you have like a candidate who's very high profile and very well known, um, you are at the you're still just a local candidate and you are at the whim of the national campaign in absolutely. a way. So you're uh, you know, you could be doing absolutely everything right. You could have raised a ton of money, you could have a thousand volunteers, but your leader or another candidate in New Brunswick or somewhere off on the other side of the country might say something stupid yeah. and totally ruin your chances. Yeah, totally. And then, and then your vote collapses, right? Yeah, as we're witnessing right now. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Well, thanks for the question, Amanda. 
Our next one comes from Spencer O'Hara. Spencer asks, what makes Edmonton Strathcona so different from the rest of the province or even the rest of Edmonton that it's the only Alberta riding predicted to have a chance of not going blue? It's a great question. This is a riding that has been held for over a decade, I believe, by Linda Duncan, yep. who is not running again. Yep, yep, New Democrat. Uh, and, well, first of all, Dave, what are you seeing in Edmonton Strathcona? Do you have a sense of where it might go? You know, just just to start off, it would have been great if our former co-host, Ryan Hassman, was still on the podcast, because yes. he would be in a very unique position to answer this question. Ryan ran for the Conservatives in 2011 in Edmonton Strathcona against Linda Duncan. So I'd be, I, uh, I'll have to send him a text message after this and see if he, uh, what, he what he has to say, because yeah. he, he would have a very unique perspective. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it will be, you know, without Linda Duncan, it's, it's, I think it is a toss up. Um, I mean, the polls provincial, provincially across the province, they show the conservatives doing very well, but the conservatives always do very well. Yeah. The NDP and liberal votes tend to be concentrated in the cities, specifically Edmonton traditionally. Um, I think, I think it's up in the air. I, I suspect the NDP probably have a shot of taking Edmonton Strathcona because it's, uh, they do have such a, uh, organization and a strong voter base in that riding um but the conservatives are going to be pouring a lot of resources into it Mm -hmm. uh the liberals from what i've heard are going to be pouring a lot of resources into it um justin trudeau made his stop in edmonton during the first day of the first full day of the election campaign and they had a campaign rally in edmonton strathcona um and i don't think that's that's an accident i think they're specifically targeting whether they can actually win it or whether they can displace the NDP as the second choice to the Conservatives. I think that's also, there's also a long game, um, long game into it. And and even just denying the NDP a seat is also part of it as well. You know, in hindsight, it might have been the right uh, constituency from which Jagmeet Singh should have run is Edmonton Strathcona. Almost certainly would have won. But it'll be, I'm curious, like, you know, it's not, it's not a foregone conclusion that it breaks NDP. Yep. Will there be some maybe um, uncertain former NDP voters who will choose to vote liberal to keep the conservative out. Well, like what amount of strategic voting might play? Might yeah, I mean, I, th- I think when, when, when talking about Edmonton Strathcona, I mean, it went NDP in 2008 mm-hmm. when Linda Duncan, and this was, that was Linda Duncan's second time running. Um, so it was kind of like a two-step process for, for Linda Duncan to win. In 2006, she placed a strong second, and the liberals who had been second place in that riding for the past the, the previous decade or more uh, were displaced. Um, the Liberals nationally were on a downward trend at that point. Um, they'd lost government. Paul Martin was defeated, and then they went through a string of leaders who got them down to like 30 seats or something nationally. Um, so the NDP were kind of in a unique position. The Liberals were on a decline. The local conservative member parliament at the time, Raheem Jaffer, was involved in a number of very embarrassing personal and political scandals. Yep. Uh, and it wasn't the strongest conservative riding in the province anyway. It was even though it was it had voted reform and it had voted alliance and it had voted conservative. It was never by wide the wide margins that you'd see in, for example, a suburban riding in Edmonton or a rural riding in Edmonton or in, in Alberta. Mm-hmm. Um, so Linda Duncan was able to uh, build, I mean, build her name recognition, build her organization, uh, displace the liberals, and build a coalition of voters. Uh, build a majority of voters or, or a plurality of voters, at least initially, that were were, were larger than uh, l- larger than the conservatives that would coalesce around her. I remember in two thousand eight there was a group in the riding in uh, Edmonton Strathcona 
uh, that called themselves Liberals for Linda. And these were former Liberal Party supporters, Liberal Party voters. Well, I think I know some of these people. Yeah, and they got together and they said, okay, now's our opportunity. Uh, the Liberals are never going to win in Strathcona. And this was back in 2008, and they, which, which was true because the Liberals were on a decline. And they mm-hmm. said, uh, we need to get behind the candidate, the anybody but conservative candidate. And they were able to get behind Linda Duncan. And uh, and then she ended up winning and then re-elected in 2011 and re-elected in 2015. Yeah. Um, what will be interesting is if the Liberal vote does go back up, uh, you know, that would likely hurt the NDP. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. it's also a split. It's also very geographically split riding. Right, because it's not all the white Ave area that no, people might think of. Right? No, so so the so the NDP do very or have done very well uh, in Strath in the st- actual Strathcona area, uh, Windsor Park, Belgravia, the University of Alberta area. Um, where there's a lot of a lot of influence uh, from the University of Alberta. There's also a large Francophone community in Bonnie Dune mm-hmm. um, that makes it kind of uniquely different than other parts of the city. Um, but the east side of the riding, so I'm talking like Gold Bar, Holyrood, that area, has tended to vote conservative. Interesting. Yeah. So the west side of the riding is orange, and the east side of the riding is blue. And going back to election night on 20, in 2008, uh, I remember sitting at. I think I was, I don't know where I was. I think I was at RAT with Chris Henderson. And the, we were watching. The room at the top. The room at the top. In the at the University, yeah, Alberta. at the University of Alberta. And we were watching the results come in. And I don't know what time it was. It was like 10 o'clock or something. And Peter Mansbridge or whoever it was was on, on, on the television declared that Raheem Jaffer had been reelected. And we thought, oh, okay, well, we'll just go home. You know, this is, this is done. Because <laughs> yeah. I, we, we, I think we both lived in Strathcona at the time. Um, but then later that night, there were polls. I think there were the Windsor Park or Belgravia polls that were late to come in. And it put uh, Linda Duncan over the top. Wow. Because it was very geographically split in terms of where the conservative vote was and where the NDP, the, where the strong conservative vote was and where the strong NDP vote was. So the strong NDP polls didn't come until later and they put Linda Duncan over the top. That's going to be a, that's going to be a fun one to watch on election night. Yeah, it will. It'll be, it will, it will be very interesting. Um, uh, yeah, it'll be very interesting. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for the question, Spencer. Let's go on to Nicole Ledroot. Uh, Nicole asks, what is up with Tim Upple not living or planning to live in Alberta? So Tim Upple was a conservative member of parliament for Edmonton Sherwood Park from 2008 to 2019. He also lost. 2015. Sorry, 2015. Yeah. He also lost to Amarjeet Sohi yeah. in Edmonton Mill Woods in the 2015 election narrowly. Yep. Yeah. Right. Um, first of all, where is, is Tim Upple planning to run in Edmonton Mill Woods again? Yeah, he's, Tim Upple is running in Edmonton Mill Woods against Amarjeet Sohi. And as you said, it was a very close race. I think it was one of the closest, or if not the closest race in the country Hundreds in 2015. Of votes, right? Yeah, they had to have a recount and it was it was very close. Yeah. Um, yeah, so he was the member, Tim Upple was the member of parliament for Edmonton Sherwood Park. But previous to that, he had run in Edmonton Mill Woods before. He'd run against David Kilgore as the Canadian Alliance candidate in two, the year 2000 That's right. and then ran against Kilgore again in 2004 and was defeated and, and was defeated by Kilgore. Listeners of the pod may remember that David Kilgore was a longtime liberal MLA mm-hmm. or probably liberal MP in, in the Millwoods area. And before that, he was a progressive conservative MP and he left the PCs in the early nineties over the GST and then ran as a liberal and was reelected. So, oh, wow. yeah, so that, that's actually quite, and he was also someone who I would say probably has had a lot of personal, uh, personal appeal in the riding. 
David Kilgore? Yeah. 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 So Tim, is it true that, that he's, he doesn't currently live and is not planning to live in Alberta? Do you know much about that? Well, this, I didn't actually hear the interview myself, but from, from what I've told, what I was, what I am told, uh, Tim Upple was on 630 Ched and I think he was on Ryan Jesperson's show. They were just interviewing all the candidates mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, he lives in Ontario now. His wife is working in Ontario. Uh, and I think, I think his wife and family, like he has, I think he has three, Tim Upple has three or four kids okay. and they're living in, in, on, in Ontario where his wife's working now. And I assume where, I think Tim Upple is actually, I think Tim Upple is actually working in Edmonton for the UCP caucus at the moment as a stakeholder relations person. Um, but I think that, I think what he said was asked was, would he move his family back to Alberta? And he said, no, from what I understand, this is, you know, this is a, this is a tricky one. I, I, I speak, like, I have to speak, speak to this in like, from like two different positions. If I were a voter in the riding, it would really bother me that the guy running and the guy who could presumably become my next member of parliament wasn't interested in even living in the same province. Yeah. That seems weird. That would seem, that would kind of put me off. It'd be off putting. Yeah. Um, as a, like a political observer, uh, if he wants to move, if he wants to, if he wins, election and wants to move his family to Ottawa where he's going to be spending a lot of his time. I, I get that. Yeah. Um, members of parliament, like especially young members, young members of parliament with families being away from your family and having to spend so much time in Ottawa, especially when, it, when you're in a ride, you represent a riding that's way across the country. That's really hard. Yeah. I can't imagine. Yeah. So, I mean, I, 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 I'm not opposed to, I think, you know, I think I would encourage even encourage members of parliament to to move their families, especially if they have young families, to Ottawa if they if they plan to spend most of their most of their time there. And if he were to be a cabinet minister, for example, which he was under Stephen Harper's yeah, government, minister of multiculturalism, yeah, um, then uh, then uh, yeah, I mean, moving your family to where you're where you're working may, makes sense. But to not even pretend to be interested, I, I I get I I understand the sort of tale of two Daves, yeah, yeah, <laughs> with two perspectives on it. It does seem, it seems like bad a bad political calculation yeah like you're already kind of kneecapping yourself a little bit yeah it'd be weird it's weird that and maybe you know maybe his wife is in a position where she where she's she's a professional and she has a career and she doesn't want to move from or she doesn't want to move from where 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 they're living now and i get that that's uh i get that it yeah yeah so i'm in two kind of two positions here yeah for sure that's a it's an interesting question thanks for that one nicole our next one came in on the instagram which you're very fond of. Uh, NWA Maddox asks, what are Kent Hare's chances of re-election? What do you think? He's a liberal in Calgary Center? Yep, yep. Uh, was he a cabinet minister? No. He was a cabinet minister, yeah. So but then ca- he was stripped. Of and it. then he was he was he he left the cabinet or was asked to leave the cabinet. Uh, yeah, so Kent Hare, former MLA, liberal MLA for Calgary Buffalo from 2008 to 2015, uh, jumped into federal politics in 2015, was elected uh, in Calgary Centre, defeated Joan Crockett, who was the the short-term conservative uh, member of parliament there. She won a by-election in 2012 and then oh, yeah. was defeated in 2015. Um, Kent Hare was briefly in cabinet. He was Minister of Veterans Affairs, and then he was Minister of something else, I think, responsible for persons with disabilities or yeah i think that's correct yeah Yeah. or what what, i can't remember exactly what that ministry is called but uh, and then there were allegations against him of uh it was sexual harassment sexual harassment or inappropriate behavior um back going back from when he was time when he was in mla uh he left cabinet there was an i think there was an investigation i'm not sure if that was ever uh, ever 
conclusive. Um, but uh, I think I think it did it 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 hurt his. I think I think it's definitely hurting his chances of re-election. When the Liberals won those two seats in Calgary, Darshan Kang in Calgary Skyview and Kent Hare in, in Calgary Centre, there was a real hope and belief that this was an opportunity for the Liberals to build a beachhead in Calgary. It was the first time they'd elected an MP in Calgary since 1968. Wow. Which is a long time. Yeah. So I, I, they, they, there was a real hope among Liberals that, hey, this is our opportunity to expand. And, and you know what? Calgary is, uh, you know, it's a growing urban area. It's the fourth largest city in Canada. There's Lots a, of young people. Lots of young people. Exactly. There's a, 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 a strong, we've seen provincially there are progressive voters in Calgary, mm-hmm. uh, provincially and municipally. Um, but I think that uh, that everything that's happened with Kent Hare has really hurt his chances. Kent is a very good politician. He will work really hard. I, he's probably campaigning really hard. Yeah. Um, he can raise a lot of money. I think that Calgary Centre with the Liberals, they raise con- like consistently are like one of the bet- top fundraising constituencies for the federal Liberals across Canada. Um, so he can he can raise a lot of money. He has organization. He has support. Um, but it was a close race in 2015, mm-hmm. uh, and everything aside, everything with with that's personally happened to Kent Hare, politically happened to Kent Hare over the past four years, plus the Liberals being on a decline in terms of lower support to where they were in 2015. Especially I think it's going to be in Calgary. Especially in Calgary, I think it's going to be really hard for Kent Hare to get reelected. Yeah, I would be surprised. Like, really hard. I'd be very surprised. Yeah, uh, it just the odds are stacked against him. And he keeps acting like a typical white guy. <laughs> it's ridiculous. All right. Thank you for that, NWA Maddox. I'm sure, by the way, that I'm pronouncing some of these incorrectly. Um, on Instagram, we don't always have the benefit of knowing people's actual names. Yeah. So I guess the same is true on Twitter. You know who you are. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and and getting shit done knows who they are as I li- well. I like that. Uh, that's, that's, a, that's a good uh, handle. It's great. So on Instagram, getting shit done asks, despite Edmonton having a more progressive, being a more progressive region, do you believe that it'll be a CPC sweep of Alberta in the federal election? And what does that mean for Alberta specifically? Dave, are you expecting to see any incumbent liberal uh, MPs or even a, an NDP candidate elected in Alberta in this election? Yeah, I think it could happen. <laughs> I think it could happen. I think it could happen. Is I think it likely I, to happen. I I, th- I think that I mean the there's the, the 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 kind of three writings I'm watching. So Edmonton Strathcona, which we already talked about, mm-hmm. um, uh, Edmonton Center, which we talked about as well. Randy Boston is running for re-election. Um, Edmonton Mill Woods, Emergy. So he's running. I think those are the kind of the three that I'm watching in terms of that 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 have the potential to to flip either way. Yeah. Um. You know, it it's going to be it'll be really hard for. Uh, for any of those uh, other parties to win those seats, I think. Um, uh, but there's we've there's only been one. I looked I looked back at, at the at the electoral records. There's only been one instant or two one two year instance since 1988. So one time or a two year period in the past 31 years where we've had all of the all of the provincial representation in Alberta be conservative I mean federally all of our federal representation be uh, be conservative and that was between 2006 and 2008 when uh, Anne McClellan lost her seat and David Kilgore didn't run for re-election right um, and the conservatives had every seat in the province before that it was before 1988 yeah it would have been the 84 election so the conservatives pull very well and they do very well in this province um, but the advantage that the, the both the advantage and the disadvantage that the liberals and the NDP have is that their vote is very concentrated in the cities. Mm-hmm. So the conservatives rack up these massive margins in the rural areas where you have 
conservative MPs being reelected with like 70 or 80 percent of the vote. But like that doesn't necessarily translate to many more seats. Yeah. And I think in terms of what it means for Alberta specifically, assuming the liberals win government in Mm -hmm. a majority minority situation, it's good for Alberta. If the conservatives win government and we still elect a few liberals, I don't think it's a big deal. Like this is the conservative heartland. Yeah. Yeah. They're not going to mistreat. They're unlikely to mistreat one riding because of whom they elected. Yeah. And I I think that the I mean, if 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 we elect 34 conservative members of parliament and the liberals still form government, mm-hmm. then we're not going to have representation in government or representation in cabinet. Yeah. Um, when Anne McClellan was one of two or one of four um, members of parliament who were liberals in Alberta, she held prominent positions, minister of natural resources, minister of justice. I think she was minister of health for a while, mm-hmm. deputy prime minister. Um, she act, you know, she was someone who had real influence on the government. Um, so I think that, you know, I would like to see, Alberta elect a more diverse group of members of parliament. I don't think it does our province any favors yeah. to elect a one one giant slate of the same party, um, especially if that party's not going to form government. Fair enough. Thanks for that one. Getting shit done. I just got to say shit a whole bunch of times on the <laughs> podcast. Um, our next question comes from Stephen McPherson. Uh, Stephen says uh, he figures that if if Justin Trudeau and the Liberals don't do well, it's safe to say that Trudeau will be out as leaders soon after, but if if the liberals eke out, I'm going to read this verbatim, a majority win in light of his blackface habit, does that buy him another full term as PM, or will the knives come out as his fellow liberals decide they're not so forgiving after all? What do you think, Dave? I, I think it'll buy Trudeau a few years. You don't think he'll... I, th- I, th- I think he's a, he's a two-term prime minister. You, so do you think that a, he'll do another full four-year term as prime minister if they win a majority? I don't think so. Yeah, I think even if they win a majority, I think that that uh, I think that uh, that he'll be gone before the before the next term, before whatever. So twenty nineteen, that'd be twenty twenty four. I think he'd be he'd be the Liberals would have a new leader before twenty twenty four. Interesting. That's my that's my prediction. I suppose it's too early to speculate on who that who some of those folks might be running. Well, I'll have to see who who gets reelected. Yeah, that's right. Probably won't be Kent Hare. No, (laughs) no, sorry, Kent. It's unfortunate. Well, thanks for the question, Stephen. Uh, this next question comes from uh, the NAMI on Instagram. They ask, how are you expecting the next Alberta provincial budget, which is, I think they're saying, going to be released in a couple of weeks, uh, to impact the federal election? What do you think uh, Jason Kenney's going to do to the fortunes of those running federally, Dave? I think the budget, the, now the, the legislative session is returning early. So the legislature was originally scheduled to return on, on October 22nd, which the is day the day after. after. Yeah, the day yeah. after the federal election. And they've changed that. They're now, the legislature in Alberta is now going to be returning on October 8th, I believe it is. Okay. Um, that said, I don't think that was about the budget. I think that's about the number, the n- number of pieces of legislation that the government, the UCP government wants to pass. I think they've, they've talked about 18 or 20 pieces of legislation they want to pass in the fall sitting is what's been rumored. Um, so I think that that had more to do with getting their legislative agenda done um, and uh, giving MLAs enough time to go back to their riding so they can go to Christmas concerts and stuff and go to Santa Claus parades. Yeah. Um, the winter barbecue. Yeah. Summer. Yeah. So I think the budget will actually still be released after the federal election. Right. That's my prediction is it'll, it'll be late October, early November is when, when the budget will actually be released. And I don't know this, but that's my, that's my prediction. It would be, risky to release a budget before then for the federal campaign just because 
what we're going to see when that gets released is Alberta is the new Ontario. Yeah. Under, under Jason Kenney is basically Rob Ford. Yeah. Is yeah. what I'm predicting. Yeah. And then and it won't it won't necessarily hurt the conservatives in Alberta, but it will exactly it'll hurt. Uh, it could hurt the federal conservatives in other parts of the country. For if, sure. If, well, if Jason Kenney comes in with an austerity budget before the federal election date. Yeah. We'll see the Bloc Quebecois make even more gains. Oh, yeah. Woo hoo. <laughs> All right, thanks for that one, the NAMI. Uh, this next one is from Sina Spence. Sina uh, asks, if the uh, Conservative Party of Canada loses, how long until Jason Kenney campaigns as leader, and who would replace Kenney uh, in Alberta? Oh, this is a great question. Yeah. I love these like specul- totally speculative questions. So we're going we're gonna to accept the premise of the question, yeah. that if the Conservatives lose federally, Jason Kenney will want to be the leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. Yeah, I think Jason, I think Jason Kenney's goal, long-term goal is to become Prime Minister of Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would, it would yeah. align with his behavior and, and career trajectory. Yeah, he's very precisely. much a national politician, even though he's, he's returned to Alberta or come back to Alberta and, 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 and focused on provincial politics. He is a national figure. I, th- I would say he's actually more of a leader of the conservative movement in Canada than Andrew Scheer is. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. And not a potato. <laughs> no, and not a potato and 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 an ex- an extremely capable campaigner. Some and, and... some kind of other tuber though. Yeah. Maybe like a carrot. <laughs> or a or a not well, uh, I don't know what uh, a beet? a parsnip. <laughs> a parsnip. <laughs> what are we even talking about? <laughs> I have no idea what I'm talking Makes about. No sense. Okay. Uh uh yeah, so I mean but the calculus changes for Kenny I think if the conservatives lose. I mean, depending, it depends. If the conservatives lose this election, if Andrew Scheer staying and how long he stays depends on on the results. So if if the if the conservatives improve their seat mm-hmm. total, which it seems I would suspect they will, um, then he probably has a better argument for staying. His position is probably a little more solidified. If they only make moderate gains, or even if they lose ground, which seems hard to believe, but first past the post is weird things. Yeah. Um, then I think Shear's probably not long for this political world. And do you think Jason Kenney tries to step into that? Well, that's that's the question. Is is I think that the I think if it looking in the in the 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 crystal ball a few years ago, I mean, I think that the if I were to speculate what the, what his calculus was, I mean, I would think that Kenney saw, okay, it's twenty sixteen. Trudeau's riding a wave, still riding a wave of popularity. He's probably going to win another massive majority in 2019. I don't want to be the guy who loses to a Trudeau um, or another another conservative who loses to a Trudeau. So I'll just let yeah. whatever potato walks in and <laughs> uh, and run against him and lose. And then after that person goes, uh, then uh, then I'll come in in 2023 or whatever after I've been Premier of Alberta for four or five years, right? And uh, and then run for Prime Minister or run run for the what run for the leadership of the federal conservatives um so i mean if sheer resign you know loses and resigns next year maybe yeah maybe kenny would win that would, that would be his his opportunity to step in but yeah um in terms of who would replace kenny that is a fascinating question uh, is there uh, anyone that immediately springs to mind absolutely oh, Absol- absolutely and i think you see people you think you see the political the the, the conservative politicians kind of very quietly jockeying not like not kicking tires, obviously, because yeah. I think it's Kenny and the UCP just won a big majority. They have a, a strong mandate. They got a, a huge popular vote, big majority government in, in, in the legislature. So I don't think anybody's like actively pushing Kenny out. I'd be very shocked. Um, yeah. But uh, I think that you can kind of see some cabinet ministers kind of positioning themselves and you can kind of you kind of get an idea of who might 
want to position, want to run for the leadership in the in the future. I mean, the the people who immediately jump to mind are Jason Nixon, yeah, uh, current environment minister, environment parks minister, government house leader, um, Doug Schweitzer, mm-hmm. minister of justice, attorney general, who's already won, already run for the UCP, he ran for the UCP leadership, and then almost ran for the Progressive Conservative Party leadership. Is yeah. that right? Yeah, he he was. He, I think he declared his candidacy, and or he sent an email around saying he was going to run, and then backed out, and ended up ended up being Jason Kenney's scrutineer in the uh, on the leadership vote. I for also the PC party. If I recall correctly, I think that Doug Schweitzer was Jim Prentice's campaign manager. He was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pre- yeah he was Jim Prentice's campaign manager in the uh, in the PC leadership race, and he was also, I believe. CEO or executive director of the Manitoba Progressive Conservative Party for a while, like in the 2000s. No kidding. Yeah, and then so I think I think he's I think he's was here in Alberta, and then he went to work in Manitoba, and then came back. I believe that's oh. how the chronology works. Yeah, and then the other one would be um, Sonia Savage. Yeah, in energy Natural, minister. Yeah, energy energy. Yeah, minister, yeah. Sure. Those are kind of the four. Oh no, uh, and the other fourth would be Nathan Cooper. Oh, the speaker. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I think. Uh, well, he was interim leader of the UCP. Uh, when right. the uh, when the UCP had their leadership race between Kenny and Brian Jean and Schweitzer, uh, and I think that uh, yeah, I mean I saw some there definitely seemed to be some aspiration there. Interesting. So, and he's kind of in a neutral position as speaker, where he uh, he has the respect of of the caucus and the party, but he doesn't have to get any of the mud on him yeah. when the uh, when the austerity budget or the the blood on him, the abattoir when the uh, when the austerity budget comes. Yeah, he just gets to uh, direct the legislature, I suppose. Well, wear the tricorn hat. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so lucky. <laughs> yeah, and he gets that. What a uh, job! He gets the scepter, the mace. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the the other part of this question, which I think is it's too soon to even discuss who would replace the people we just talked about that would step in as the premier. So who would replace the justice minister? The oh, I have no idea. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Like it's that's, it's, that's yeah. Much. So we're not going to answer that part of the question. But thank you so much for your question, Sina. It was a good one. Uh, this next one comes from <laughs> Peep My Mixtape on Instagram. You know what to do, people. Peep their mixtape. <laughs> uh, they ask now. <laughs> again, we're going to maybe just accept the premise of this question as I read it verbatim. But why is there so much BS in the McKinnon report? Dave, do you have an idea what Pete My Mixtape is talking about here? Uh, if if Pete My Mixtape is on the same wavelength as I am, uh, yeah, I mean the the McKinnon report, the Blue Ribbon Panel report on uh, on Alberta's finances. I think that's what it was called. Um, on Alberta's expenditures, not no, no, its finances. Oh, expenditures. Yeah. Was, oh, yeah. That, that, this is the this is the Alberta has a spending problem, not a revenue problem uh, report. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, so what was BS about it? Because I haven't read the whole thing. The the report by design only looks at the provincial government spending on right. expenditures and doesn't look at revenue. And you could see immediately after the when the report was announced, the panel was announced, when the report was released by by uh, Janice McKinnon and Finance Minister Travis Taves. I mean, McKinnon was right on the UCP talking points, talking about how Alberta has a spending problem, not a revenue problem. And just she continued on the talking points. And Alberta but, has a revenue problem. And until we f- look at both sides, you can look at the absolutely look at the spending. Expenditures are important. Make sure that you're spending government funding or public money responsibly. Yeah. Make sure that your your programs are efficient, that you're delivering the best services you can. Absolutely, we should always look at that. But if you're not looking at the revenue issue and that Alberta 
continues to be so incredibly over-reliant on oil and gas royalties to fund the day-to-day operations of government, to fund the public services, education, health care, infrastructure, um, uh, social services. If you don't look at that at the big picture, we're not actually going to solve the problem. If, if you're not looking at that, then you're just praying for the next oil boom to come, which is what every government since Ernest Manning has done. Yeah. Yeah, it, uh, it, is, it was a flawed uh, approach. And it only looks at half the picture. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Al- Albertans are s- <laughs> severely undertaxed. Yeah, you know, because we have been able to rely on 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 resource royalties, um, on revenue from resource royalties to fund the stuff. We want everything. We want the best, but we don't necessarily want to pay for it. Yeah, that's always been Alberta's problem, and that was, and that was actually that was, I believe, what sort of prompted Jim Prentice in that debate to say Albertans need to look in the mirror. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't wrong, but Albertans didn't want to hear that. We have to stop being whiny babies about it. Well, I remember reading, reading, well, just to be realistic about it, I remember looking at polling data. This is, I'm sure it's the same now, but going back to the 2015 election about how Albertans want, what, was, what, what, what were the polling data say? It said Alberta's, Albertans want, um, uh, they want low taxes. Mm-hmm. They want to Who pay, doesn't? Down, pay down the debt and deficit, but they also want to increase funding for healthcare and education. Yeah. So we we really want we want the boom back. We want a hundred one thirty dollar barrel of oil, which it's is just not happening. Which is not likely to happen anytime soon. And if it if it does, it's not sustainable because it's not a long term thing. We live on on uh, on the roller coaster. And the the thing that frustrates me the most about Alberta Alberta politics is that we don't. We live through the boom and bust, and when the bust comes, at least the especially this last time, um, when the price of oil dropped in 2014, it's like almost like we doubled down on oil and gas. Yeah, it does feel like and that. It, and it's like you know what? There are a lot of people who work in the oil and gas sector. It's in a very important industry. People like families depend on a lot of these jobs. We depend on the tax revenue, on the oil revenue to fund, um, to fund a lot of our public services, but. This is like an insane way to uh, to finance uh, to finance to fund a province. Yeah. And uh, if you're only looking at the spending side, which the McKinnon report did, and you're not looking at the revenue side, uh, then you're not going to solve the real problems that the government is facing. Yeah. Well, I don't think there's more to say on that one. Um, I guess that's what uh, Pete, my mixtape, meant by BS. Let's go to the next question from Guy 80 on Instagram. They ask. When can Rachel be our premier again? <laughs> <laughs> I wonder that often myself, Ty Guy. And then, and then they ask, will she be the NDP leader for the next election? It's a good question. Yeah, that's that's a great question. I mean, I'll tell you, I've noticed, and I'm sure everyone else has too. Not a lot of profile stuff for uh, Rachel Notley these days. I mean, she's out there a little bit. Mm-hmm. You do see her on some of the larger issues, speaking her piece. But I see a lot more Janice Irwin. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's probably because I follow Janice, and I I think Janice is amazing. Yeah, she's my Janice Irwin is yeah. my MLA in Edmonton Highlands Road. And she's I, I, excellent. I saw her yesterday in Highlands. Of uh, course, yeah, yes. I was I was surprised to learn that maybe not surprised, but as I get older, I'm always surprised to learn that I'm older than somebody. <laughs> it was Janice's birthday a few weeks ago, I think. So yeah, yeah. happy belated birthday, happy Janice! Birthday. And, um, and what have you done with your life? Adam? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's right. Not politics. But, and I, so I've seen Janice Irwin out a lot. I've seen a lot of Sarah Hoffman commenting yeah. in the media. But but it seemed it does seem like Rachel Notley has sort of stepped a little bit back. Yeah, it's it it did seem like that, especially over the summer. Um, and I I mean I think contrast it's 
it's a little unfair to contrast. I mean, it's fair and unfair to contrast with with Jason Kenney because Kenney is such a campaign machine and he is out everywhere all the time. It's his life. All the time. Literally is his life. This right? is like, his life. Yeah, yeah, like politics. He's married to politics. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, I guess we'll see in the fall how, you know, we'll get some some indication in the fall. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if, it wouldn't shock me that uh, to see Rachel Notley lead the NDP into the next provincial election. I think she's she's in a very unique position. I think she's very also very personally popular. She is yeah. the NDP in Alberta. She is. Um, and she's, and, and and she's she has pretty young, premier. too. Yeah, like, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, by political standards anyway, sure, certainly. Yeah. She and, couldn't play professional hockey, but she could run for no, politics we, again. No, we couldn't play professional hockey. Yeah. <laughs> I just meant age-wise. Yeah, Dave. well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so I wouldn't be surprised to see her. But then again, I mean, maybe uh, I mean, there's the m- maybe she'll move on and do something else. Maybe she'll get appointed uh, ambassador to Ireland, as my uh, as my colleague David Klamenehiga has speculated on his blog before on on Twitter before. <laughs> he's, he could he's probably not wrong because David knows a lot of stuff. I mean, ambassador to Ireland would be a great gig. Can you imagine all that Guinness? That'd be it'd be great. It'd be killer. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I think she's in a unique position, and I think that the NDP would struggle uh, over the next few years if she decided to step down. I agree. Yeah, I totally agree. The last question we've saved is a, both a federal and provincial question. It comes from uh, Mountain Ted. So how's it going, Mountain Ted? Hey, Mountain Ted. So who among uh, the Alberta MPs, uh, or I suppose candidates running federally, is uh, minister material in case the conservatives form federal government. What do you think, Dave? Who would you see in cabinet there? So when I looked at this question from Mountain Ted, and thanks, thanks again, Mountain Ted, for the great question. I looked at the list of conservative candidates running in this election in Alberta, and there's been a surprising amount of turnover even since 2015. Is that right? Yeah. There's in terms of of the number of current conservative MPs and candidates in Alberta who've served as cabinet ministers before i could only find and correct me if i'm wrong uh but i think i've only found two like michelle rempel who's running for re-election in calgary knows hill she was minister of state for western economic development under stephen harper mm-hmm. uh and then tim upple who was minister of democratic reform and he's running he's not an mp right now he's defeated he was defeated in 2015 but he's running in edmonton Woods this time around so there's only two who've i mean jason kenny's gone in provincial politics rona ambrose resigned uh, and there was a by-election to replace her. She was a former prominent cabinet minister, and, and then Stephen Harper himself is no longer no longer in parliament. Yeah, of so course. there's not a lot of uh, like looking at the list in terms of people who've had experience in federal cabinets before. There's not a lot, but there are some interesting names on on running in 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 uh, in Alberta for the Conservatives who I would kind of flag as potential cabinet material. I mean, both Len Weber, Len Weber, and Ron Leipert were served in the provincial cabinet for the progressive conservatives. Ron Leipert, I believe, was even finance minister or um, uh, minister of health, and maybe I think it might have been. I think he minister. was finance minister. Yeah, as finance well, yeah. minister at once. Uh, Len Weber was minister of of indigenous affairs or whatever they called it at that point. Um, that, that ministry's had a number of name changes. Um, so there's kind of like the four who have some kind of experience, but looking at that, the critics and in terms of who the more, more prominent conservative critics are. Uh, under Andrew Scheer, I'm looking at someone like Shannon Stubbs, who's running for re-election in Lakeland. She's the critic for natural resources, and she's been really prominent on the pipeline file, mm-hmm. criticizing the liberals on the pipeline file. Um, Chris Workington from Grand Prairie McKenzie, who's the Conservative Party's deputy House leader and their question period coordinator. He seems to be kind of like in the leadership group 
an up and comer up and comer yeah, yeah. kind of like in the, the tight five or six mp leadership uh, group in the conservative caucus so i'd look at look to someone like him and someone like shannon stubbs uh john barlow who's been uh, a prominent critic as uh, employment and work for, workforce development and labor critic i'd look to look to um he's in the mp for foothills which is just south of calgary uh and then two kind of ones that i'm not sure if they're i'm not sure I'm not sure if I'd put them in cabinet material, but they're, they're definitely up-and-comers and ones that I would watch in terms of the conservative party and the conservative movement. One would be Stephanie Cousy, who's the MLA, or MP for Calgary Midnapore, and she won the by-election in Calgary after Jason Kenney left federal politics. Oh, okay. And she's been, she's a critic for democratic institutions, and I think she's been pretty prominent and pretty vocal out there um, uh, on conservative conservative circles on conservative issues she's a former i think she was like the executive director of whatever the municipally municipal manning center funded municipal right-wing group was in calgary um, before she ran for federal politics and then garnet genus from sherwood park fort saskatchewan who's like not like the most prominent in terms of like conservative mp in terms of seeing him like on the in the news or seeing him a lot but he seems to be like quite a mover and shaker behind the scenes hmm. Uh, he was uh, he was very involved in United Conservative Party nomination races across the province. Like I think he'd endorsed like twenty some candidates uh, for UCP nominations ahead of the provincial election, and actually did quite well. I think he comes from more of a social conservative background. Okay, um, but he seems to be out there campaigning quite a bit. Um, I think he's quite popular in in some conservative circles, and he was also voted McLean by in McLean's magazine. He was chosen as their parliamentary parliamentarian of the year in 2017. Interesting. Yeah. So, those are kind of the ones I'm watching. I mean, that said, these things these things are always kind of hard to predict because sometimes you know Joe Schmo from uh, you know Seven Lakes Gopher Crotch might get appointed to cabinet <laughs> or something. <Gopher> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just throwing out throwing out random names. Sure. That uh, was unexpected. Yeah. <laughs> So, so, but these are kind of the ones I'm I'm looking at. Who, if if uh, you know, if the federal conservatives form a government, mm-hmm. these these could be who, who might be. Now, I mean, Canada's a big place. Yep. Alberta only has 34 seats. We're the fourth largest province. But we'll get um, we're, we're going to get some cabinet. We, we would I would imagine get like a handful, like sure. like three or yeah. four maybe yeah. um, cabinet ministers. I mean, even when the prime minister, when Stephen Harper was was. Um, was prime minister. I think there were at least three or four cabinet ministers from from Alberta. It is the base. Right. Okay. Yeah. Great question. Thanks, Mountain Ted. Uh, that is actually, that brings us to the end of the mailbag, Dave. Hey. We did quite a few. Yeah. Thanks to everybody for sending in, uh, sending the questions. This is great. Yeah. And it was a nice way to kind of ease back in after the summer. I wanted to, to, uh, uh, to thank our guests, our guest co-hosts who joined us over the summer months, Brad LaFortune, uh, Michael Jans, Leanne Bell, and Chris Henderson. That's right. Um, that was fun. That was a lot of fun, yeah. And we're hoping to have some uh, some fun guest co-hosts uh, coming up in the uh, in our next couple episodes. So Yeah. We'll, yeah. After I get all moved into my new house, yeah. we, can, we can get onto a normal schedule. Yeah. So we should be back in, I think, the two weeks, which will be, hopefully be back on a regular schedule. Yeah. Uh, and uh, since this federal election seems like it's never going to end, we at least have one or two more episodes before the federal election vote. <laughs> Um, before we go, I just wanted to include a couple shout, just a couple special mentions. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're in Edmonton, uh, I am thrilled to be hosting or moderating a panel uh, discussion on climate politics and the federal election on October 9th at nice. the Yellowhead Brewery downtown. Uh, so that should be super interesting. Um, so come on down. I think I, I don't even know what tickets are. 
find it on Facebook. Well, will you link to it? We can link, I'll to, link it to it in the show notes? Yeah, I'll link yeah. to it. Green Drinks is organizing it now. Okay. And, th- and that'll be a super interesting uh, discussion. And then on uh, October 21st, uh, on election night, I'm going to be hosting or moderating, hosting, moderating a uh, panel discussion at the Metro Cinema. Oh, cool. With the big election results coming in on the big screen. And this is part of LitFest, which is Edmonton's uh, nonfiction literary festival. Awesome. Um, and there'll be a panel of of authors who'll be joining me on stage, panel of authors from LitFest who, who are at the festival. Awesome. Uh, are they to, all going to be Canadian, Dave? I, I, I believe they're all Canadian. <laughs> I just got the, their books delivered. I haven't had a chance to read them yet, but I just got their books delivered. So I'm going to read the books and, and have some um, have some interesting questions to ask them in the context of the federal election results. So... Uh, come on down to the Metro Cinema on election night. It's going to be a lot of fun. There's an open bar, or not an open bar, it's a cash bar, sorry. Um, oh, uh, but uh, uh, but you can drink in the theater and it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it is a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. And then the one thing, other thing I wanted to mention was there's a new politics podcast. Yeah, Alberta, Alberta. politics podcast. Yeah. yeah. Friend of the pod, David Shepard. My, my former, your, soon to be your former. Your soon to be former MLA, MLA for Edmonton City Center has launched a, a podcast called The Herd Podcast. And I haven't had a chance to take a listen to it yet, but I'm, very excited because David Shepard is a very articulate and well-spoken and smart and funny guy. Yeah. Uh, and I think he'll have, uh, I'm interested to see what he's what he's going to do with that. I don't know if there's been uh, another example of an MLA, sitting MLA in Alberta who's launched their own podcast. Not, um, not that we know of. Not that we know of. Yeah. If you're, a, if you're an MLA in Alberta and you already have a podcast, uh, <laughs> send me a note on Instagram. Yeah, totally. That's where <laughs> Dave hangs out now. Yeah. And it's, it's sort of a behind the scenes look at, at, the policy they're considering, the conversations they're having, having under the dome. I'm really excited to listen to that episode. That yeah, yeah, it should be good. Yeah, check out the Herd podcast from uh, David Shepard. And that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for tuning in. And thank you to the handsome and talented producer, oh, Adam Rosenhart. You shouldn't have, Dave. For, uh, for helping put the show together. Uh, and a huge thanks to the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB, for supporting the show. You can send us your feedback or ask us any questions you have for our next episode. You can get us on Twitter at, at Dave Berta, on the Dave Berta Facebook page, on Instagram yeah. at, at Dave Berta. Do you do? Yeah, it's at Dave Berta on Instagram. Yeah. yeah. Uh, or you can e- email us at podcast at DaveBerta.ca. And if you are so inclined, we would love it if you could leave a review, a positive review on the uh, on the iTunes. Yeah, or and, wherever uh, you get podcasts. Yeah. we got to make sure we're on Spotify, by the way. We are on Spotify. Okay, great. Yeah, so, so if you're listening to us on Spotify, um, send us a note. Yeah. And tell us that you enjoy us on Spotify. Or, can or, you review on Spotify? I'm, I'm not sure, actually. Okay, but well, it, send us a note telling us that you, you know, what you think of the show. Yeah, even if you don't enjoy us, send us a note. And yeah. And tell us that you hate us. Because we just want to know that you're out there listening. Yeah, yeah, we welcome <laughs> all feedback. And we do get all feedback. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thanks, everyone. Okay, thanks. Thanks.